Hello, everyone, and welcome to our seventh episode of ND Inspo, where our mission is to connect, grow, and inspire naturopathic doctors and students from all over. My name is Dr. Kirsten DeWitt, and today I have with me Dr. Orna Isaacson. Dr. Orna is a naturopathic doctor, writer, registered herbalist, and environmentalist with extensive studies in botanical and herbal medicine, as well as a master's degree in journalism. She is currently practicing in Portland, Oregon at her eco-clinic, Solilo Natural Health Center. I am so excited to have Dr. Orna on today to discuss the roles that nature and green space play in our health as well as the research behind it. So we'll be providing you with a lot of great resources and references that will be linked in the blog. So be sure to check those out after you're done listening. We'll also discuss some ideas that you can share with those that might be currently in quarantine or isolation and how they can get those benefits too. And lastly, Dr. Orna has a few botanicals to consider that may be in your own backyard especially during this time when some botanicals may be harder to find or obtain. So, hello Dr. Orna, thank you so much for taking your time to be here today. And before we get started, if you could just give us a little background on yourself and also what brought you to naturopathic medicine. Thank you so much, Dr. Kirsten, for having me. I really appreciate this. It's always so fun to get to talk about nature, plant medicine, naturopathic medicine, um, and you know, just geek out about all of these things that are what's so what is so inspiring to so many of us and got so many of us into this profession in the first place. Mm-hmm. So my background is that I never wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> And uh, I was, I grew up in the city and I sort of thought nature was stupid. And nature ended up changing my life. I started backpacking um, right after college and it was just, it was really, it was totally life altering for me. So I started focusing on environmental issues and ended up going, as you mentioned, to journalism school to become an environmental reporter. And I did that for about 12 years until I decided to switch careers and move into medicine. So when I was in journalism school, I got, or a couple of years before starting journalism school, I got very sick and I was told that I would need to be on steroids every time I got a cold or a flu for the rest of my life. I did that once. Um, when I was trying to come off the steroids, my doctor was on vacation and his replacement was on vacation. And somebody said, oh, it's a low dose, just stop. And I had menopause symptoms at 25 from discontinuing prednisone. Yeah. So when my doctor came back, he was a friend of mine's dad. And I was like, Harvey, I love you, but F you, I'm not doing this again. And I sort of started down the road of figuring out how to not need to ever do that again. And, you know, I tried this diet and that diet and this book and that book and finally said, somebody else wanted to study this. I'm going to ask them for advice and let them figure it out. And when I moved to Missouri for journalism school, I had a lot of flares. And so I started seeing a local doc 
she was very much like a naturopath, um, although that wasn't her degree. She was an acupuncturist and a chiropractor, but one of the most thorough and amazing holistic practitioners I have ever met. And apparently when we first started, when I first started seeing her, she was like, if this journalism thing doesn't work out, you should consider going into medicine. And I completely shut her down. And I know I shut her down because when I was applying to med school, I called her and I was like, uh, what do you think of this idea? And she's like, you don't even remember what I said, do you? <laughs> so I worked in journalism for many years. I covered the environment, um, mostly here in the Pacific Northwest, but also in uh, Northern New England. And I wrote about ecosystems. So fisheries, forests, climate change, um, these were sort of the bread and butter of what I did. So that under, that sort of three-dimensional understanding of things where, you know, it's not add this chemical to the water and bad things happen. It's what happens when you pull here and push here and tug there and all of these things are interrelated. So um, years later, I was living in Eugene, Oregon, and I got sick again in that way where previously I'd been told that I would need to go on steroids and I didn't want to do it. But I started feeling like things were getting bad enough that I was going to need to go to the hospital soon. My neighbor was studying herbal medicine with a couple of local herbal teachers and she had been giving me some herbs and it wasn't really doing anything. And she suggested that I talk to one of her teachers. So I called and that teacher suggested a couple of herbs for me. Um, one of which grew in the mountains and one of which was growing in my garden. And this is long enough ago that I don't remember exactly the timeline, but let's just say it was less than 24 hours before I felt better enough that I no longer thought I was going to end up in the hospital. And that was really the light bulb moment for me that medicine wasn't just something that lives in a doctor's office. And I had known that sort of when I was looking through books but it just all felt too complicated. But somehow there was this light bulb moment of, I can grow these things to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I ended up covering climate change quite a lot. There's not a lot of good news there. And I was getting kind of burnt out and I decided to look for something completely different. And I spent some time with a friend whose best friend was a medical student at NUNM then NCNM. And I kept at, we were at a bar and I kept asking her questions. Like, this is really interesting, but I could never do it. This is really interesting, but I could never do it. And a week later I decided to go to naturopathic medical <laughs> school. And so that's the not very short version of it. Um, you know, I studied herbal medicine for a couple of years before while I was doing my other prereqs just to make sure that this wasn't a passing thing where I could just satisfy myself with, you know, a few classes, but plant geek. And then <laughs> also the environmental work that the work that I had been doing as an environmental reporter leading up to it, which taught about holism and interconnectedness of ecosystems. It, I, I wanted something completely different from what I had been doing, but in the end, it's very much the same. Mm -hmm. It's looking at interconnections. It look, it's looking at mechanisms, how things work. It's looking at ecosystems. So as nature paths, we talk about terrain. 
It's the same idea that gardeners use. It's the same idea that's part of organic agriculture um, and natural, natural ecology. Mm -hmm. So it ends up being very much the same, except that as a journalist, I just had to report what was happening. But as a doctor, I can actually give prescriptions, like literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And one of the best prescriptions, and it's especially, I think, um, being it's really useful now during this pandemic, is bringing people back to nature. And whether that's just looking at a picture or, you know, if people live in a place where they can get out into a wilder space, but all of those things are really, really helpful for our, for our patients right now on whatever level they can access it because we're overwhelmed with the situation, overwhelmed with Zoom and social media and all of these things. And an important way to bring ourselves back to ourselves is to have some kind of interaction with nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, um, I think right now, fortunately, it's, it's a time where we could be taking to pause and slow down, but not everyone has that time, you know, unfortunately. Uh, some people, it's even more packed than it was before because now they have to teach their children while juggling work, while cooking full time, and, you know, having to pick up the house while their partner is also working at home and so some some people's lives have become a little more complex but there's just so much research that even simply like you said looking at a picture or having a green plant in your the room that you're working in can help to bring us into a more stress-free and um, a little bit calmer state and it can affect our mood and all sorts of stuff. So I would love if we could, you know, really start to dive into some of those benefits that, that we know to be true now with, with the research and, and then, you know, how we can kind of implement some of those things. So I've been taking frantic notes from <laughs> all of the things that I've been reading. And then I, I wanted some time to sort of step back to distill. Um, but the sort, so the sort of, there are a lot of details in the studies where they looked at things like obesity and cardiovascular disease and specific immune markers and inflammation, anti-inflammation. So we can, we can really dive down into some of that if you'd like, but the sort of basic things that I keep repeating over and over when I'm talking to people about the healing benefits of spending time in some relationship to nature is lowering stress, improving our mood. Um, because of those things and independently supporting our immune systems, including speeding healing. I'm looking at my, my little cheat sheet mm -hmm. there. And, <laughs> There's so uh, many. <laughs> and, and, and really those, I think, are the three main things. But then we can start to get into some more details. So there's a body there. There's a lot of research that covers sort of generally the idea of nature and healing. 
So it's foundational for us as naturopaths, going back to hydrotherapy, um, air, air and light bathing, you know, mm-hmm. getting out naked and feeling the elements, <laughs> which, you know, different parts of the country, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> but that's, you know, put, getting our feet on the grass first thing in the morning, getting light in our eyes first thing in the morning, what the things that that does to our cortisol curve, to our melatonin curve. And obviously we know that high cortisol means low immunity and balancing our cortisol means better immunity. Getting our melatonin in line. Melatonin is one of the supplements that's being cautiously recommended by some uh, medical institutions for prevent, nobody knows what does or does not, nobody can say anything prevents, treats or cures COVID-19 but there are some institutions that are starting to suggest these things. And melatonin is one of the supplements that they are suggesting as something that could possibly prevent or treat. So getting our melatonin in line, when we get our melatonin in line, we get our sleep in line, we know we need our sleep to stay healthy. Um, So there's this wide body of research so there's, so there's the things that we know as naturopaths to begin with, and then there's a body of research, and there are lots of pieces, and a lot of it is somewhat reductionist, looking at, does this do this? Does this do this? But um, there's a large body of research just on spending time in forests. There's a good body of research on just being in, the, in, in some kind of relation to visual nature, So um, videos, images, uh, houseplants, windows, and I want to talk about, I want to come back to windows. One of the things that I've been doing with my patients, um, we've been doing telemedicine, and I can't offer them tissues when they cry, Mm. and I can't offer them flowers. And I'm not, I guess, trying to see where the camera cuts off. (laughs) But so... So there's that body of research and, you know, the sounds of nature are healing. The smells of nature can be healing. Aromatherapy is not my big deal, but it is its own huge body of research. And we know that that has impacts on, on mood, on stress, on immunity. Memory. Yes. Memory was a, a big one as well. Students out there. (laughs) Attention, cognition. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a lot of research. And like we said, we're going to be linking all of these studies and um, resources that we have found, including to our colleagues, Dr. Kurt Beal and Dr. Cindy Gilbert. Dr. Cindy Gilbert literally wrote the book on forest bathing. (laughs) Here here is the book, Forest Bathing. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And then Dr. Kurt Beale has done extensive writing on this as well, as I'm sure many other naturopathic doctors. So if you have resources, please send them to us. We'll be happy to add them to the blog so that everyone can access them. But bottom line, there's so much research. There's so much to support. And so these are things that we can really start to um, to include in our writing, include in our messaging, include during the telehealth visits, telemedicine visits, 
and because it's it's a really simple tool that people can implement simply by like you said dr orna having a picture watching a video um having house plants inside being near a window looking at green space there's so much research on how having access to a, a visual green space has improved healing time and and reduced um, time needed in hospitals and um, so there's just there's so much research out there is there anything in particular that you kind of um, any any of these that are your favorite kind of elements in here anything that just really gets you excited when when you're talking about it Oh, well, there, there are so many, <laughs> um, yeah, I can, ha I can pick more than one. Can I pick more than sure, one? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, for me, my, what brought me to all of this was getting out into the woods. So for me, what I most want to do that I can't really do right now is get out into the woods. And there are benefits to being able to have a broad view. Like you get around my, fav my favorite trail, you get to this one curve and the river opens up and you see the whole valley and you see the hill across and you just have this beautiful vista. And your eyes, instead of being focused like this as they are, on computers, on devices, mm -hmm. and books, they they sort of widen, and and your perspective broadens, and everything kind of relaxes. And there there are a lot of um, theories and hypotheses about why having a broad view um, makes us feel so good. And some of it is safety that it used to be that. If you could see broadly, you knew that you were protect. You could see, you could see attackers coming, mm -hmm. um, and some of it is just a relaxing of vision. And anyway, there's a whole theory. There are a whole bunch of theories about that. Um, I'm glad that you brought that up. Just to interrupt you for a moment, because we are so focused in on our screens right now uh probably a little more so than normal for some of us although some work a lot on the screen already but that that could be another tip to provide as well for ourselves and for our patients is looking up taking your eyes away from the screen now and then um, throughout the day if you have a window looking out the window and trying to incorporate those little breaks for for your eyesight but also um, you know, it could help with, with stress management as well. So I want to talk about windows. Um, about a year and a half ago, right before Thanksgiving, I was starting to get really stressed and I decided to do a nature challenge where I was going to spend every day between then and the end of the year, so through the through um, the New Year's holiday, I was going to spend seven minutes every day having some kind of intentional interaction with nature. And I I made a Facebook group about it, um, which has morphed, and I'll talk about that later. Um, 
but I did that and I picked seven minutes because I wanted it to not seem like too much time. I wanted it to seem doable, but three minutes isn't, didn't seem like enough and five minutes was kind of too pat. So I just sort of picked seven. And what I discovered in doing this every day, and I ended up doing it every day for more than a year, was that the first three minutes, there was a lot of monkey mind. There was mm -hmm. a lot of, is it over yet? Am I done yet? Can I be mm -hmm. done yet? Why am I doing this? I hate doing this. I could lie to the people on Facebook and say I did this. <laughs> but a little bit after, and I would set a timer on my phone so that I didn't have to like be looking at my watch or anything. And what I noticed was that I would get past that. I'd start to get into whatever I was doing. And then the timer would shock me mm. and I would shut it up and keep, keep going. Oh, that's great. So, and I bring that up here because one of my, I, I, my rule was that anything counted if you decided it counted. So petting houseplants counted and windows counted. So my, my bedroom, I live in a house and my bedroom is basically a converted attic and I can lie on the floor and look out my, my front or back windows and see sky and see like the edges of trees. And I would turn, I would do this often right before bed and I would turn off the lights and I would pretend that I was camping and that I was looking out from you know the the doorway of my tent and i could bring back my memories and experiences of camping and it actually ended up being one of the most restorative things that i did so even if you don't have a view of green space you can still get that sort of broadening of the eyes and that expansive feeling looking out a window if you can see sky at all. Mm -hmm. So if we get a lot more benefits if we're hiking in a nature, in a natural environment than we do, you know, huddled in our sleeping bags, looking out a window, but it also has value. I'm glad that you brought that up because I have really been missing camping. <laughs> Especially as you know, I'm in Michigan. So as things warm up, it's been so beautiful outside. I just cannot wait to be able to hop in a tent and spend the night outside. Um, so I might steal that idea and set up my tents and just <laughs> just pretend that I am there for a couple nights until <laughs> until I'm actually able to do so. So thank you for that idea. Another thing, and I just did this the other day, for those of us who are physically isolated by ourselves, I've had th three kind of moments of really feeling, of, of really kind of getting very sad and crying and stuff during this. And the first one came when I realized how long it had been since I had touched another human being because I am here by myself. And that was, that was like five weeks ago that that meltdown happened. And while it's not the same, and I haven't been able to find like explicit research on this, but I've seen references to this, hugging trees 
I was looking to see if there were any studies that showed that hugging trees um, led to oxytocin release. And I didn't find any, but you get a really good fat tree and you hug it <laughs> and you haven't hugged another, you haven't touched another human being in seven, eight weeks. It's not nothing. <laughs> so. Might be getting some microbes there too, you know. And then there's and then there's gardening, you know, getting our hands in the dirt. Yeah. And if you have a garden, um, this is a great time to be working it. And there are a lot of people who are returning to gardening now. People ripping up lawns, and people have been ripping up lawns to plant gardens for a long time. And here in Portland, they do that. It's all over in my neighborhood, but it's starting to take off a little more because in the absence of connection and in the face of all this stress and in, and all of these, you know, <laughs> getting our hands into something real, like super real, um, makes a big difference. And as you say, the microbes, the being outside, sun exposure, there's a whole body of research on the health benefits of sun exposure including vitamin D and even without the vitamin D effect mm -hmm. showing improvements in beta endorphin levels, serotonin levels, reducing obesity. I have a whole, let's see, I have, which list is it? No, that's this list. Um, uh, lowering blood pressure because mm -hmm. UV on the skin releases nitrates in the skin that becomes nitric oxide Wow. That and helps. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and let's see what else. Uh, looks like colorectal cancer mal uh, malignancy, and um, it upregulates Treg cells, upregulates IL-10, which is an anti-inflammatory cytokine, and downregulates IL-17, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine. And that's sunshine by itself. Never mind the vitamin D effects, which we all know do all of those kinds of things as well. Well, especially during a time when one, there's so much uncertainty, two, there's so much instability. And so some people are having to try to, like myself, try to make their own schedules and keep themselves on somewhat of a routine to help find that stability and right. create your own certainty in whatever ways you can. And one of the, um, great ways to do that is by getting the morning sun, getting the evening sun, so that you're, you're exposing um, yourself to those various, because there's not only benefits in the, um, the infrared and, and the, the great expansive <laughs> array, if you will, of, of, uh, of, of, light that is produced by the sun in so many different forms, um, including the, the visible light. So even that can impact our health. Even the, the color of the sun at various types of days can help, various type time of the day can help to regulate our circadian rhythm. And so, and like you were saying before, it can help regulate release of cortisol and melatonin and just so many various hormones um, that sunlight can play a role on helping to regulate. And so it can also add in a little bit of a routine. So getting outside for the morning sun, or at least being near a window for it, if that's all that you have access to, if you're in a city, um, you know, just, just getting yourself 
somewhat in sync with the sun to help add to your routine? Absolutely. Routine is really tough um, for a lot of people right now who aren't working regular schedules. Mm -hmm. And it's, so we know that routine is one of the most important things that we can do to support our health. And a lot of us rebel against routine, not looking at myself here. (laughs) But routine is, right? But routine (laughs) is so critical for our health. And so it's tough right now for those of us who don't have specific routine, but it's also an opportunity. And I've been telling, I've been talking about this a lot with my patients to the extent that our norms are exploded. It gives us opportunities to figure out what does and does not work for us. So if you, if you have kids or young kids, this is going to be different, but if you don't, you can start and, and you have a flexible or somewhat flexible schedule, or even if you're telecommuting, but no longer have to physically commute, you have a little more flexibility to play around with what time you go to bed and what time you wake up. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you discover, oh, I really am a morning person, or I'm really not a morning person. Mm -hmm. You know, you start to figure these things out. You say, you know, I feel best because I'm home. I feel best if I eat breakfast at seven o'clock, or I feel best if I eat breakfast at 11 o'clock. And then I'm not hungry until, or I'm really hungry at, or I want my, or my optimal lunch seems to be this time. And when does exercise figure in? So if you exercise too late, it can affect sleep, but sometimes after work is the only time people can get to the gym. Or sometimes people are going to the gym at like five or six in the morning, and so not getting the same amount of sleep because they were waking up for that. And maybe it turns out that 10 o'clock is the best time or three o'clock is the best time. So we have these opportunities now to figure, to figure those things out. Mm-hmm. I have And one of the things that she learned in this process is that getting outside for walks three times a day turned everything around for her. Like she has the time to do that now. And she has, um, she's, um, she has some, some joint, joint issues and some nerve issues and things like that. But everything gets better if she's walking three times a day. And how do you even find that out? If you like wake up, go to work, 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 come home, crash. Like when, how do you learn that? So now we have opportunities to learn that. Yeah. And I, um, I think, I mean, I, I wish that everyone would have that time because I've, I've definitely been becoming way more in tune with my own rhythms. I mean, we've been at this about seven, seven or eight weeks now. So um, speaking from a womanhood perspective, I've had plenty of time to really uh, take a look at my own cycle rhythms as well and Mm -hmm. just notice different times of my cycle because, you know, you start to learn about um, the different types of exercises depending on where you're at as well as how to time them and um, it begins to make more sense the more that you do kind of tune in to your regular energy levels and like you said uh, how um, 
your appetite levels, all of these things, especially for women, can fluctuate. And so our routines are going to be a lot different than a, a man's might be. Um, but if you have the time to kind of tune in right now, then you can really discover a lot about your own body rhythms. Right. It's really an opportunity to relearn how to listen to our bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that. And that could be a great tool as well um, as, as we're implementing various things with our patients and clients, you know, maybe having them check in with themselves, which most of us already have people do anyways, but um, for those that might have the extra time, they may not have been willing to, to take time to journal quite as much as they might be willing to now. So maybe reapproaching patients and clients with that idea to gather more information. And it's a part of the self-responsibility and self-reliance aspect that I love about naturopathic medicine because then they are becoming um, you know, they're, they're kind of taking the wheel on their own health and really seeing those connections and seeing how, um, how waking up at a certain time might make them feel better or worse. Going to sleep at a certain time might make them better, feel better or worse. Um, exercising at a certain time, all of these things that you've mentioned, um, this could be for some, again, <laughs> very aware that not everyone has more time these days, but for, for some, this could be a, a good time to really start paying attention. One of the things that I'm finding, and my patient population is mostly mental health and chronic disease, but I'm finding that really the, that my patients are really excited about really small interventions. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking specifically about nature kinds of prescriptions here. So the simple thing of get your feet on the grass first thing in the morning or hug a tree or pay it close attention to a flower, like all of those things, my patients are, they, they seem so small and they feel like it's not adequately medical because I haven't discussed, you know, the genotypic versus the phenotypic and looked at it versus their labs and their microbiome and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, Go be in nature. Go let the sun <laughs> fall on you. But it seems to be one of the most effective things I'm prescribing right now for people and one of the things that my patients seem the most grateful for right now, these little things. So I just want to encourage, I just want to encourage other NDs. Like it's, it's part of my... <sighs> It's part of who I am, who I've always been, well, since, since I stopped thinking nature was stupid. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, part, it's a major part of my identity and my practice for decades now, right? But I am focusing on it more in a different way now. It just feels like something that's easier to prescribe to people right now. Mm -hmm. And that is going to have profound effects for people, I hope. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a great point because um, the reverse to adding in all the journaling and whatnot, um, those are very simple things. Uh, Dr. Samantha Brody, she wrote the book Overcoming Overwhelm, and 
you know, often we tend to fill our plate with more things to do, more self-care things to do. Um, you know, we're supposed to be doing 18 million things during our routine of the day. And so a simple thing like looking outside or taking those breaks um, doesn't feel so overwhelming. Right. And it's a really, a really, like you said, small thing that is easy to do um, that could really help to create some stability, especially if it's something that you're doing day to day. It's something that you can look forward to and it's not overwhelming. It's likely, um, if anything, reducing the overwhelm, right? Um, right, because all of these interventions work directly on the stress response. Mm -hmm. They like uh, one of the common things is that. So, even people who are in kind of optimal settings, there are different stressors right now. You know, we have to do everything, more or less everything for ourselves. I was reading an article about how as pack animals, which humans are, being isolated is stressful because we're used to having other parts of the pack taking care of some of these concerns for us. Mm -hmm. And when they don't, and we have to figure out every single piece, and you know, as somebody living alone and practicing alone, I'm very aware of like decision fatigue Mm, should, yeah. should the pen holder, should the, the jar with the pens go on this side of my desk <laughs> or this side of my desk? And that kind of thing, when I was setting up my clinic, literally would send me over the edge because <laughs> every little thing I had to decide. But we have to be thinking about all of these pieces and it builds up. And so the technical term for that is allostatic load. So even when we feel okay, this can be building up. So giving ourselves breaks and not even as structured as self-care. Self-care can feel like an overwhelming thing, mm -hmm. but just like, oh, it's sunny. I'm going to go outside for five minutes and just stand in for seven minutes or two minutes. <laughs> just stand in the sun. Just walk away from this computer and go stand in the sun or walk away from this computer and go stand in the rain go look at a plant. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that that also kind of adds to the reason why routine can be helpful to an, ex to an extent because then it's taking away some of that decision fatigue, right? Then you, you don't have to think about, okay, what am I going to do today? You already have somewhat of an idea, something um, already in motion that you don't have to keep deciding every day. Right. Um, right. I think that's a really good point that you made. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Are there any other tools or tips that you that you've come up with that we can be providing our patients and clients with during this time to help keep us connected to nature? Well, my favorite thing is always going to be the plants. So plants and trees. And ecosystems that's three things <laughs> but that's one thing right it's connected exactly <laughs> and so you know one of the areas that i'm putting a lot of my energy into is plants 
And I, I do have a garden and I'm very lucky to have a garden. So I'm working on that. Um, but I just wanted to, to share that you don't have to have a garden to work with plants. So I made a video early on for friends of mine in New York City in, you know, tiny apartment talking about getting fresh vegetables. And I made a video about sprouting lentils. So that's something, and this might be fun with kids as well, you can sprout lentils and, or whatever bean, and they can watch it go from just being this hard seed to like putting out its first little, its first little bit and then starting to create leaves and then you can eat them. And so that's fresh veggies that you know no one has touched other than you. <laughs> and so that's kind of fun. Another thing that I've been doing and I posted a picture of this. I posted that video on my YouTube channel and on my Instagram. And then this I posted a picture of on my Instagram. But this is when I make beets. I cut the tops off and then I put it in um, just like a shallow bowl with some water. Mm -hmm. And then they sprout. So this is gardening on my kitchen counter. And I want to show you. <laughs> that one's a little tired. But these are from, you know, a few days ago. So you can just see that it's the cutoff top of the beet. Um, and these didn't come with, with the greens. But look at, look at those greens. That, That's that great. It's, this is so cute. Aww. And, you know, we talked about the wide, the wide gaze and what that does for us. But there's also something to the close focus. So I like to look really closely at my flowers. Beautiful. So this is one of my peonies from the front yard with a little bit of lilac in there. And, and get lost in there. So we have, you know, here in Portland, we've had things blooming for months now. We're very lucky in that way. And you know, there's a shift in what's blooming, excuse me, but especially right now where spring is, you know, full bore, we have a lot of things flowering. Just looking closely at the plants and watching the bees, like you can really spend time getting lost in that. And you can do something similar with a nature video, but if you are in a place where you can get out and look at plants that have bees on them and just like, really immerse yourself in that it's you know the eyes are narrow focused but it, it starts to feel wide well and so you can tune, you can tune out the city around you a little bit more by just looking really deeply into what's going on right in front of you yeah and and you're bringing yourself into the present right you're really um, focusing your mind on on a single thing and you could um, if you have access to a grocery store a lot of them are you know having their flowers out right now so you could always buy yourself a bouquet of flowers and maybe pick one out and and that's the one that you're going to observe today just for a few moments maybe draw a little bit or write down what you see and it you know it might just help you um, help you bring your mind to the here and 
to focus on one thing instead of the million things that I'm sure are going through your mind during this time. So you could do what you said, set a timer and just observe. And you can do that with your eyes closed if you've got something that smells good. I've gotten very stuck in the lilac bushes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they're all going past now. I just picked the last of my lilacs today. I'm sad. (laughs) Well, they look beautiful. All right. Are there any other resources that you wanted to cover before we dive into some of the botanicals that you had picked out for us? Um, So we talked about uh, Dr. Cindy Gilbert's book, Forest Bathing, which is a really great accessible book on the subject, although it's a little bit of a tease right now if you can't get out to the woods. Right. But another book that I really like, and my, my office is set up, you know, I sit behind my desk and then on the other side of my computer, which you can't see, is the sofa where my patient sits. And on the edge of the the edge of the desk, I have a pile of books that I hand one of to my patient when I go into my medicinary to gather their supplements or to mix tinctures or whatever, right? And one of the books, so those are standard books about nutrition and things like that. But one of my books that I put there is this one, The Nature Fix by Florence Williams. And this is an incredible review of the scientific literature that is written in an incredibly accessible style. So um, Florence Williams is a journalist, and I actually interned at a paper she used to write for, so I've known of her since I started in journalism a long time ago now. And she doesn't just say, the study found X, Y, Z. She goes and spends time with the researchers and it becomes a story. So there are some researchers where they would have groups of students and go out into the wilderness and they were looking for specific things and studying specific things. So she tells you about that experience and others where she became a participant in the research, you know, so like with electrodes, to her head looking at different videos and seeing how her brain reacted and getting blood tests. She has a story about her dad getting very sick, being in a hospital and advocating for him to have a room with a view of nature because Mm -hmm. of the research into how a nature view improves healing. So she uses these stories to explain the science. So it's very accessible for us, even if, you know, we are more comfortable or more familiar with reading impenetrable prose of research studies, but it's also a great resource for our patients to get an idea of what we're talking about. It's just really an accessible book. Great. Well, I'll definitely be checking that one out as well. Thank you for that. All right. And so, but for those that uh, may not have access to pre-made supplements or botanicals, what ideas do you have for us um, if we're able to get outside and maybe do a little exploring of our own? So the bottom line with this is love the plants you're with. 
so for many years now in herbal medicine, there's been, you know, every year there's some new fad plant and it comes from far, far away from like only a north by northwest facing aspect on this one mountain by this one river valley uh, in far, far away. And, you know, and that is the wonder herb for all of the things. And, you know, we have all of these terms in commerce, like superfood and things mm -hmm. like that. And we talk about these exotic superfoods when actually things like grapes are superfoods. <laughs> so we, I, you know, there may be one magic herb that does all of the things. And by the time you hear about it, by the time we hear about it, for the most part, it will be over harvested in the wild and incredibly expensive and basically inaccessible. So more likely what we're going to do is what we have always done and used what grows around us. So um, it depends where you are, what those plants are going to be. Mm -hmm. And don't disparage them. Don't disparage the dandelions. Don't disparage the chickweed. I'm thinking about weeds that grow by me. Even the blackberry, which you know is really the thing that I struggle the most with in my yard, blackberries are incredible are an incredible astringent. So if you've got somebody bleeding too much, if you've got you know somebody who like scrapes their arm and you need a quick astringent, and you've got a ton of blackberries in the yard, easy peasy. If you don't have access, you, we were talking about women's health earlier. If you don't have access to uh, raspberry leaf as a uterine tonic, blackberry leaf isn't the same, but it would have some of some similar effects. So you have to think about what's around you. The good news for us where we are at this precise moment in time is that it is spring. Mm -hmm. We're coming into the growing season. So we have an opportunity to plant medicines in a windowsill. If we have a garden on a, on a kitchen counter. <laughs> so we have an opportunity right now to start planting intentionally for the rest of the waves of this particular beast. And it's an opportunity to get to know the plants that are around us and pay attention to what grows where and what we might have access to. So I was in New York um, dealing with some family issues a while ago. And I was there in the summer. Usually I don't go in the summer. And I was super stressed out. And I walked out and I walked across the street to the park. And there were these trees and I could sort of see them in the distance and tell that they were flowering. And I'm like, I, I know that tree. No, I'm making it up because it's what I want to see. No, no, I think I know that tree. And I, I, I walked and walked and I got closer and I got up close to the tree and it turned out it was linden. Mm. Linden is one of our profound calming herbs. People use it for seizures. People use it for sleep. People use it for panic attacks. Mm -hmm. I, it. I haven't used it for seizures. 
um, in my clients. There's, I use a different herb for that. That is a mint that's easy to grow. doesn't take up nearly the space of a linden tree. <laughs> but if you have a linden tree in your neighborhood or in your park, that can be a lot of medicine. And the idea that somebody in New York City planted all of those linden trees, like one of the most stressed out places yeah. on the planet, right? So our medicine is growing around us and I can't give you a prescription to say, go find X, Y, or Z. Although we can often find things like dandelion. Um, but you have to learn what's local to you. So for the naturopaths who are listening to this, find out what are some of the most abundant local weedy medicines that people can harvest safely or what great medicines grow where you live. What you, can you grow on a windowsill? So our salad dressing herbs are profound medicine. Mm -hmm. One of the herbs that kept me out of the hospital in that story I was telling you about was thyme, mm -hmm. just garden thyme and using it as an herbal steam. And I have a video about that on Instagram and YouTube about how to do that, that you know, if you wanna make your own version of it or use it as a resource for patients, you know, it's just demonstrating how to do it because explaining with hand signals in the office <laughs> to work very well for me and my patients. And that one's pretty, um, pretty easy to grow for the most part. Yeah. Thyme, oregano, like yeah. you can grow those on a windowsill. Mm -hmm. You can grow those in any city. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not a specific herbal list, but, you know, oh, but find out what's growing by you. And uh, talk to your local herbalists if you're not already friends with them. Um, find out what, what they're using most commonly, if they're willing to collaborate with you. A lot of herbalists right now, um, there are a lot of people who make their own teas and tinctures and supporting each other and supporting small businesses right now it's a good time to do that. So find out who's local, not just who the big companies are, because a lot of them are having trouble keeping up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I love about the nature preserves, um, pretty much all over, they often will label various botanicals. Um, they might not even know that they're medicinal, but you know, we can begin to recognize them and then at least you'll get an idea of what's around here, even if you might not be able to pick those and you know in certain preserves, but you'll at least start to get familiar with what's in your area and then what might be in your backyard. And just if you are picking from a place that is not yours, ask permission. Mm -hmm. you know, make sure you make sure you have permission. I know and I know that here in Forest Park, um, the students at NUNM um, lead monthly or at least were leading monthly herb walks there and they're showing people the plants because it's a place where the plants are but we encourage people not to pick people are not supposed to pick in Forest Park and also um, many of the parks and botanical reserves may use pesticides yeah. and you don't necessarily know so it's great to go to those places to learn about plants. Don't ever trust a label on, 
on a herbal and an herbaceous plant because they move around and <laughs> sometimes the humans don't move the labels fast enough to to accommodate so double check everything mm -hmm. but there are books um, for most areas of the country talking about local local um, food plants and medicinal plants and um, there are apps yes there's tons of directories um, that you can that's what I did most of last summer was <laughs> just utilize those online directories that um, that a lot of each each state tends to have their own and then you can kind of become familiar with like we said what's in the area also there are some great herbal teachers all over the country and many of them are moving to online teaching right now so if you can go on virtual plant walks with somebody who is local to you so in michigan you have jim mcdonald who is amazing an oh. amazing herbalist so and i and he has a lot of classes online and i'm pretty sure he's doing virtual classes and virtual herb walks and he he's really phenomenal and there are people like that all over the country it's just a question of identifying them mm -hmm. as a way to get to know and love the plants you're with yeah i love that that's i think that's a a great way and it it's also a very sustainable way as you've alluded to <laughs> before oh I, I just i just want to add one thing and i think i i don't think i sent you this link but i'll send you this when we're done there was an article from the guardian i think that was talking about uh what did it say rogue botanists chalking the sidewalk and identifying plants so one of the pictures is like a crack in the concrete with a dandelion growing out of it and somebody chalked the name of it and pointed to it. Mm -hmm. So people are doing like gorilla sidewalk plant ID in public spaces. And the examples that they cited were in Europe and apparently it's against the law to chalk the sidewalk. So these people might get in trouble. Oh my Here in the US, I don't think it's illegal. So that's one thing to do too. <laughs> Yes, and if you are a member of the public, uh, please do not ingest anything that you do not know what it is. Even if you know what it is, consult with someone before you ingest anything. <laughs> Be very, very careful of your ID. Yes. Because there are a lot of things that can look very similar. Yes. So I've been doing virtual plant walks. I was going to count before we started, but it's like seven weeks, six weeks, seven weeks every day, um, just in my neighborhood or in my backyard. And one of the things that I've always done on herb walks and now I'm doing on these virtual ones is when I see things that kind of look the same, I try to show you closely. I try to show both of them closely so mm -hmm. you can identify and distinguish the difference. So there was one spot where there was some mullein growing, verbascum thapsis, one of our great lung herbs. Um, the flowers are used for ear infections in kids or grown-ups. Very safe, very common herb. And it was growing three feet away from foxglove, which mm -hmm. is digitalis, yeah. which is poison if you get it wrong. Right. And it's easy enough to get it wrong. And they both have like these entire green fuzzy leaves 
and they start out sort of looking similar. And I don't think that Foxglove technically has a basal rosette, but they start out looking very similar. And that's a mistake you don't want to make. Mm-hmm. So learn your plants, spend time with your plants, but be careful about using them until you are really sure, which means confirming with multiple sources on multiple occasions at different times in the plant's life cycle. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are so many examples of that. So many lookalikes out there. Just better to be safe than sorry. Um, just to summarize, basically the point is that there's a lot of research behind the importance of nature. There's a lot of different ways that we can implement nature and make it accessible, especially if you are in a more urban area. Um, and its benefits are pretty much endless, <laughs> but especially during this time when um, there is uncertainty and instability, finding something to ground yourself a little literally. (laughs) I do have one more point, which is that I think it is really on us as naturopathic physicians to advocate for green space. So again, our colleague Kurt Beale um, is amazing on this. He's my go-to guy. He is, for those of you who don't know him, he's a naturopathic doctor from NUNM. He's a licensed acupuncturist from NUNM. And he also got a master's in public health specifically in the effects of green space and nature on health. So he's like the guy, right? And one of the things that we were, you know, we were talking about the advantages of seeing green space or greenscape at all from your windows this is a huge health disparity. Where there are parks, parks are attractive, people wanna live there, people pay more to live there, which means the people who can't afford to pay more get driven to places that don't have parks, don't have green space, and they have concomitantly uh, worse outcomes on many, many levels um, and many, many markers of health. Right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're seeing that those people, for reasons that include socioeconomic status, race, and those kinds of health disparities, also the lack of green space becomes a health disparity, and they have increased particulate matter um, in the air that they're breathing, and um, they are having much worse outcomes with this pandemic. And this is been true in many ways, but it's a little more visible and unfortunately easy to count right now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we do with our patients one-on-one is we advocate for them to have access to these natural spaces. But one of the things we need to do writ large is advocate for all people, whether they're our patients or not, to have access to the things they need for health, which includes green spaces. Yeah, that's a really great point. There's already a lot of disparity coming to light, um, like you said, that have have been ongoing issues. But, you know, I'm hoping that if if anything comes out of this, it's just the awareness of of how much is, how far we still have to go. Um, So that's a really great point. Thank you for for bringing that, that up. Well, thank you. 
Yeah. All right. And so the way I love to end these talks <laughs> is by asking, you know, what keeps you inspired in naturopathic medicine and hopeful for the future of healthcare? I was at an herbal conference. It was actually like my second month of med school. And herbalist David Hoffman got up in front of the group and he had this whole long talk that was a fabulous, fabulous talk. But one of the things that really hit me was he said, herbalists don't burn out because we have the plants. And naturopaths, to the extent that we're herbalists, we have that. And to the extent that we root our, our medicine in nature, we also have that. We are more important now than ever. Our message is so important, and I think people are really open to it right now. In, in some ways, they're really open to it. In some ways, they're, you know, freaked out because we're all freaked out, and they want there to be, they want there to be some big answer from Daddy that will make everything all better. But what we offer is the stuff that has kept humanity going forever. And my hope is that we continue to stand strong in that and relay that because I think that that foundational stuff is going to be the most helpful medicine there is. So that's our nature, our water, our food, our herbs, our physical movement. Um, what am I forgetting? <laughs> air, air, light, sleep, all of those things. And we need to remind people, we need to, we need to remind people that this is the first medicine, and this is the fundamental medicine, and that it all comes down to, and that terrain is incredibly important. Um, people are with excellent terrain are still getting sick because sometimes, you know, a virus is bigger, but terrain is the thing that we have the most control over. As you were saying, it's empowering. So, you know, remind people about working on their terrain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's a very sustainable medicine when you think of the, the long term of, of what we, what we really need as a world. Um, you know, we, we can offer sustainable modalities. Hydrotherapy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. And where can our viewers and listeners connect with you and kind of follow along with you on your walks yes. and on your talks? Um, I am pretty easy to find. If you Google Dr. Orna, it should come up with lots of different options for you. So I am on Facebook, Dr. Orna Isaacson, which is unspellable, but <laughs> there it is. Um, I'm on YouTube as Dr. Orna. I'm on, let's see, I'm on Instagram as Dr. Period Orna. <laughs> I'm on Twitter as Dr. Orna ND. I'm revamping my websites right now, so please be kind, but you can get to my websites, drorna.net, 
I also have that Facebook group that I started before Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. I've renamed it Dr. Orna's Facebook, Dr. Orna's Pandemic Stressless Vitamin N for Nature uh, Community. And every day I'm doing my plant walks for half an hour in that group and then for half an hour over on my Instagram account. And those are free and open to everybody. And I have a bunch of resources that you can get to from any of those places. I'm working right now, and I hope to have it done before this is broadcast, um, a, a resource guide, nature heals, and how to get more of it during lockdown. So sure. this is a resource for intended for all of us, especially geared towards patients. Um, and I hope that people find that helpful. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today and for all of your knowledge and just sharing, sharing this love for nature and the science behind it. And, and also, you know, more of the, oh, <laughs> you have to talk. And the flowers. <laughs> yeah. And the flowers, the peony and the lavender. Peony, a wonderful, calming, antispasmodic herb. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of the tips. I am excited to share this with everyone and I hope that everyone found this as helpful as I did and as enjoyable. So thank you again, Dr. Orna. And thank you, Dr. Kirsten, for your great work bringing inspiration to all of us. Oh, thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe and share to keep the inspiration going. Be sure to check out the blog so that you can get all of these great references and see where to link up with Dr. Orna and follow along on her walks. It's so great that she's doing that. I hope that you all be well and stay inspired. So thank you and we'll see you next time.